If you'll open, please, to Genesis 28, um, chapter 28, verse, starting in verse 8. Christian I wish I had known you that much. So this is um, talking about Jacob, and this is Jacob's dream at Bethel. And so, meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Ram. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. He saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east. To the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid, he said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, oh wait, sorry. And then, so I want to travel back to verse 16 and just talk about that Jacob said, I didn't know God was here. And we can see, based upon the context of the verse, that Jacob is fearful and he's possibly in awe. And then on verse 17, we can see that Jacob has a moment of committing himself to God and fulfilling God's plan. So at that, I want to pray really quick and get all the heads. Dear God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for the opportunity to learn about you and to just fellowship together in a time where we can learn about you being present in our lives and you being here in the days that we can all, I pray that we can all open our hearts and join you in our midst. Amen. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm really, really excited about this sermon today. I, I've been studying Jacob and Esau a lot, but we just kind of on the way to teach a devotional at one of the high schools in Phoenix, Oregon. And they wanted to learn about Jacob and Esau, and so lately I've been studying a lot. And I just got, was praying about what to talk about, and I felt God bring this scripture onto me. So, um, And it's funny because this is a total coincidence, but I was going to intro into my sermon by talking about how whenever you run into somebody and you don't expect them there, and you're like, oh, what are you doing here? And I'm just going to use that as an example. But literally, like 30 minutes ago, I ran into a friend, and I was like, what are you doing here? And I realized I did it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. <laughs> and it's, so it's always funny because you always run into these people in unexpected places, and you're always surprised. And it's really funny when it's at places like the airport, and you run into somebody, and you're like, oh, friend, is that you? And I'm like, hey, yeah, everything. And they're like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm at the airport. I'm probably going to get on planes. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, what are you doing here? I'm getting massaged. Like, <laughs> I'm getting my teeth fixed. What are you doing? And so it's always funny. It's typically like a figure of speech, but um, it's always used when you're surprised to see someone 
in a certain place or situation. And I think that if we think about it, we would all be pretty shocked about all the places that we seek God in certain situations in our lives. And so we usually assume that obviously God is exclusively in places like church and youth and Bible study and uh, fellowship gatherings and things like that. But ironically, I think the places that we are aware of God's presence is usually not the places and situations we need to be the most. Frequently, it's the places that we are filled with sadness and sorrow, displacement, wandering, grief, and brokenness, and anger, and where we have convinced ourselves that God is not present. And so I think we'll be surprised where God is in our lives. And so that's why I titled this sermon, God is here. And so a little bit about um, Jacob's backstory. I'm sure everyone knows who Jacob and Esau are, but Jacob was the younger brother of Esau. Esau and Jacob were their sons to Isaac. And Jacob, we know from scripture, is kind of manipulative. He's very selfish. He's very kind of cowardly. We know that he likes to cook. The Bible says that. You know, he's not hairy. Um, we know his brother is Harry. Um, and we also know that Isaac kind of favored Esau, and Esau is the older brother, and so he was going to get a double portion of birthright. And Jacob really, really wanted this birthright. So as Isaac is getting older, he's starting to go blind, he's starting to kind of lose his mind. Um, and Esau is out hunting, we see Jacob come in and decide to steal Isaac's birthright. And so Jacob comes in, he wears the fur of a goat, he cooks something that he knows his father likes, something that he knows Esau would cook if he were going to go talk to his father. And then he goes to his father, and he asks him, obviously, for a blessing, his birthright, and he gets it, and he steals it. And then we also know that um, in the chapter before this, when Esau finds out, before chapter 28, when Esau finds out about this, he vows and swears, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. I hate him, I'm going to kill him. So, once we go back to the scripture we just read, we see that Jacob in Genesis chapter 28 is running for his life. He's terrified. He's running, he's running away, he's running the Forrest Gump and the Vietnam War. Um, he's just petrified. And so, Esau made it very clear to his friends and his family, like, I, I'm going to kill Jacob. I hate Jacob, and I swear to you, I'm going to kill him after the time of mourning for my father is done. So Isaac just died, and Jacob decided, or Esau decides, once the time of mourning for our father is done, I'm going to hunt down Jacob, and I'm going to murder him. So Jacob, as he's running for his life, he's not really on like a leisurely stroll. He's not stopping and taking the sides. He's not setting up a picnic. He's not grabbing a canvas and pulling a Bob Ross and starting to paint a picture. Like, oh, let's go have a treat here. We don't want this treat to be lonely, so let's uh, give him some drinks. Um, no, he's terrified. He's fearful for his life, and he's dealing with a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of regret, a lot of embarrassment, and probably, I would imagine, a lot of self-questioning of who am I really? Who am I? I just stole my brother's birthright. I lied. I'm deceived. I'm manipulated. I'm, I'm selfish. How could God ever use me? Who am I? And so, 
And then we see Jacob is in a rough place. And I love, I don't know if you noticed, but in the scripture, it says, Jacob found a stone to lay his head. And I always thought that was kind of a weird thing to just add in there. Like, his pillow is literally a rock. And so, well, yeah, I guess that would be a pretty bad night to sleep. And talk about waking up on the wrong side of the bed. Um, and I always wondered why, like, why is this, why, because everything in the Bible is important. It's put in there for a reason. God doesn't do things randomly. Um, and so I wondered why that is in there. Why is this put in there? And then I came to the conclusion that Jacob is scared to death and is sleeping. And he stops and he's in the middle of nowhere. And it shows exactly where Jacob is in his life right now. It shows exactly how bad his life is right now. It shows that Jacob is spiritually, emotionally, and physically tired. It shows that he's running for his life and he's afraid and he knows that he failed. And so he just stops. As soon as the sun sets, he stops. He lays his head down and he goes to sleep. And he just passes out. And that's why it's so cool how... This dream came about. Um, so we look at, this is one of the lowest places of Jacob's life. And then he gets this dream. I want to look back at how dramatic Jacob's dream is. It says, you have to get it. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord and said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. And so Jacob begins to dream this dream, and we think about it, and God is sending Jacob a message. He's saying, I have a promise to fulfill, and I'm going to use you. I don't care how bad you mess up, I don't care what you've done. You're the one, I'm going to use you. And God could have said this in any way. He could have go walk out of the bushes and tell Jacob, like, hey, you're going to fulfill some promises walk back in the bushes or something. But he comes to him in this very vivid, very dramatic dream. He didn't need to show him a stairway to heaven, which, by the way, this is where the song by Led Zeppelin comes from. (laughs) But Jacob begins a dream, and in his dream he sees a ladder of a stairway to heaven from where he is standing, reaching all the way from the earth, all all the way to the entrance of heaven, and then furthermore, God's angels are descending and ascending on assignment. In some translations it says on assignment. So by God's command, going up and down the stairway, talking to Jacob and encouraging him. And it's telling God, God is saying, I am a way for you to heaven, and I'm here. And so God's telling Jacob who he is and what he's going to do with him. He will fulfill the promises given by God to his father and his father before him. And so Jacob doesn't wake up and talk like all eloquent, like, oh, surely this is the gateway to heaven. Amazing. No, he wakes up and he's like, where am I? What's going on? I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's just happening. So Jacob, later, as we read in the scripture, it says he names it Bethel. Bethel, by definition, means house of God. But for Jacob, it means so much more. Jacob, in his mind, also, we have to think entirely from Jacob's perspective. 
He is, I am being pursued by my brother who wants to kill me. I have nothing. I am a liar. I am a deceiver. I am a manipulator. I am a cheat. And then God shows me I am right smack dab in the middle of this supernatural portal of heaven. And I didn't even know God was here. I thought I was by myself. I thought I was running for my life by myself. And I didn't think God would be here. So Jacob, um, when we study the scripture, he's kind of the beginning of God's people starting to understand what God's presence means. And so the nature of God, wherever God is, it shows who God is. Or he does what he does because he is who he is. And so, like I said earlier, God is not random. How many know God is everywhere? But also when we study scripture, we know God is sometimes very specifically in certain places. We think of Mary. God came to her and said, you're going to have my kid. Be ready. (laughs) Um, And so we look at this and this isn't, this dream isn't just talking about the general um, omnipotence, omnipotence, omnipresence of God. Jacob is saying God is specifically very specifically where I am right now at my worst part in the worst part of my life and I didn't know that about God. And so I think as we look at this I think Jacob struggles where you and I and all of us, everyone will struggle as well. We assume God is only in sacred places, which he is, but we also fail to recognize that God is historically renowned for being where you are in your most pain, your most weakness, your biggest burdens, your biggest fears, sorrows, grief, addictions, marriages, everything. We also know that we look at scripture, we see God in these places, in the worst places. And this is just kind of the nature and the character of God. And I think you and I may be surprised as we look into it to find ourselves in a difficult season, a difficult space. Dealing with a reoccurring error or pain, shortcoming, sin, temptation, weakness, wrong, anger, lust, whatever it is, I think we can find, all of us, find ourselves in those moments at one point or another. And when we find ourselves in those points, I think our brain and our body tell us that God is as far from us as he's ever been. And we have to think that from Jacob's perspective, how could God be here? I stole my brother's birthright. I lied. Once again, I deceived. God isn't going to open a special gateway for heaven for me. He's not going to do that. God is in a sacred, sacred place in the tents of good people, in the tents of the righteous people, in the synagogues, in the tabernacles, in all these places. I'm not even running for my life because my brother wants to kill me. God isn't here. How could he be? And then only to wake up and say, not only is God here, he brought ladders and stairways and angels on assignment to show me that I have a gateway to heaven. Right here, the place, the house of God, Jacob gets up and he says, this is where we should do church. This is where we should build the tabernacle. He is so exasperated in the love of God and the grace of God that after this, he anoints the very rock he laid his head on because he said, this is surely the house of God. We will call this Bethel. And so the reason Jacob 
is that this is who God is. And so as we look at this again, this is the beginning of throughout Scripture where we will see God in places we didn't expect him to be. And I think back to Jesus, who is the full manifestation of God and Trinity and man on earth. We look back at Jesus, we will find that his time, his places, his homes, his situations would cause us to say, what are you doing here? Like, this isn't where you should be. You shouldn't be at brothels. You shouldn't be preaching to the women who got caught in adultery. You shouldn't be sitting in the house of a tax collector eating dinner and dipping veggies and hummus. You know, you should be in the synagogues with the righteous and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the well-renowned, the big people, the good people, the people who are the members of society. They're the religious leaders. You, sh you should be there. But this is where God works. This is how God works. And so the place where you have pain, you have guilt, you have shame, you have embarrassment, you have addiction, you have lust, you have temptation, you have anger. These are the places God rushes to. These are the places God shows you his grace. If you turn to Romans 5, 20 through 21. It says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as in sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But where, where, where sin increased, did grace increase all the more? Many of us know this as where sin abounds, does grace abound much more so. And so where sin abounds, wherever that sin, that space, that place is, that sin abounds, grace does much more so. And even in some translations, it says, it talks about aggressive forgiveness. And I'm here to tell you that aggressive forgiveness is not a concept, it's a person, and his name is Jesus. And I never thought that after this or that or that or this, God would pursue me. But then, when you think about it, that's misappropriating the nature of God. As if God is only available to the sacred and the righteous. But nothing, nothing's further from the truth. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more so. And I think about the body and how it heals itself. Whenever you see a cut or a wound of some kind, blood rushes to the wound. It clots in the wound and it heals the wound. And so if you look at your body just at the way it works, it reveals the nature of how God works for forgiveness. It's amazing. And even in the midst of Jacob's failure, in the midst of his lying and his cheating and his manipulation, God decides to be over demonstrative in his grace. And he says, I'm not just going to tell you how much I'm going to do for you. I'm not just going to tell you how you're going to fulfill my promises. I'm not just going to tell you what you're going to be doing or how I love you or how I care for you or how I'm here with you. I'm going to show you in your absolute scariest, worst, lowest, saddest, most painful part of your life, and not only am I here for you, but I've brought you a stairway to heaven, and I will be beside you with angels on assignment to fulfill the promise I have made for you. And so what changes Jacob? Is it God forsaking him? Reprimanding him? Giving him a slap on the wrist? No, he did a bad thing. No. 
God is saying, no matter what you did, I'm still going to fulfill my promises through you. Jacob says later in the scripture, he says, if you'll help me, if you will help me, I will, every day I will commit to you and I will live for you every single day, if you will help me. And so we see God all over in our lives. We see him in nature. I see him on the mountaintops. I see him on the rivers. I see him in the trees. I, mean, I see him when I FaceTime with my nephew. I see him when I spend time with Alicia. You see him everywhere in your life. And it's funny that I think we are convinced that God's love and his grace is conditional based upon performance. And these things are happening to me because of what I have done. Whether it be good or bad, these things are things I deserve because I've either been a really good Christian or a really bad Christian today. Yesterday I read my Bible for three hours. Today I didn't read my Bible and I stubbed my toe and I said a cuss word. And so now everything's falling apart. However, and it's a big however, I think God's grace is continually, always aggressively pursuing us. I, I shouldn't say think, I know. I know God's grace is always aggressively pursuing us. And no matter what we do, it doesn't matter. God is here in the midst of this place with us. And God has made it so we can say, I didn't think God would be in this place, but he is. I didn't think God would come to this place, but he has. Now I know he's here. And I'm going to commit to him. I remember in high school, my family had a lot of, a lot of troubles. You know, Oftentimes, especially when I got involved in the youth group, I would go, my youth pastor gave me a key, which probably wasn't the most encouraged thing, but gave me a key to the youth building. Sometimes at night, I'd sneak out of the room, I'd go, and I'd turn on some worship music, and I'd hit my knees, and I'd say, ugh, I have no more strength. I can't get up. I have nothing left to give. I don't know what to do. Everything I try isn't working. Where do I go from here? Where are you? Why aren't you in this? What's going on? And that. I never could get past this feeling of am I by myself? I always struggled with that. And then one time I just sat there in silence, sat there, sat there, and finally I just felt this overwhelming sense of you don't have the strength, but I do. And I got up and I started praying. And at night I had a dream. It was of all these different times that I had been crying or had been angry or felt alone and in the dream I saw this is a true story Jesus like one time I wrecked my truck and I didn't want to tell my parents so I just sat there and cried and in the dream I saw Jesus sitting in the passenger seat and his hand was just on my shoulder and I kept thinking back to all these moments and every moment I saw Jesus there sitting beside me every moment I <laughs> was so afraid that he wasn't there. Every time I get up to preach, I freaking cry. <laughs> but I'll never forget. <laughs> never forget when my grandpa passed away. And I told you this story, and I'll tell you it a thousand times over. But I was walking, and I said, it's going to be okay, right? And he said, no, it's not going to make it. He said, okay. I walked away and went to the bathroom and put my hand on the door and opened the door and I just collapsed. I couldn't stand up. I said, why is this happening? He's the only one. 
pick it up, and I felt all the color down in the room, and I felt like I was alone. And I said, I don't have the strength. And God said, I do. Just like all the signs in high school. Now, after studying Jacob, after studying this story, after getting into the scripture, I see Jacob and I connect with him when he says, I know now God is here. I know now. God is here. This is where we will do church. This is where you will build your tabernacle. I'm going to anoint this rock. You are here and you are here with me. And there's a gateway to heaven that you brought for me. And so now every day when I get scared, when I feel alone, I'm going to say, I know God is here. I know God is here with me. I know God is here for me. And I know God will do for me what I need to do. And he will make a gateway. And so I think that any time we think about these things, we look, and you will be surprised where you will see God. In the hardest moments, in the scariest moments, in the most painful moments, you will see God. And we can say, too, I know now God is here with me. And he will always be here with me. And so I think back to Jesus' first breath. I think about where he was born. Jesus, the King of the Kings, the Lord of Lords, the biggest person in life, was born in a manger. In the most displaced place you would ever expect that big of a king to be born. And he was born there, and we wonder why. It's because where there was no room for Jesus, where he was, was because he was making room for everyone where he was going. And you will be surprised where God is. When you look for him, you will be so surprised. It's amazing. In these places of failure, fatigue, angst, and emotional worry, how we are aware of everything else around us, the negative things, the painful things, we aren't aware that God's there because we're not looking for him. And so, like I just said, from here on out, I'm going to start saying, I know, I know you are here. I know God is here with you. And I know in the failure, God is here. I know. In the pain, God is in that place. In the addictions, God is in that place. The lust, the divorce, the sadness, the financial burden, the stress, the anxiety. Specifically, God is in that place. And if we are going into 2019 thinking, I can't keep going like this, these burdens, I can't live like this, I can't move on like this, I would say to just tell yourself that you know God is there. Because in your weakness, His strength if you guys would pray with me dear God thanks for always making me emotional on stage makes for good preaching thank you for always being in the places we need you the most I'm sorry that sometimes we don't look for you I'm sorry that sometimes we let our human fallibility get in the way and so I pray that in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our shortcomings, in the midst of our pain, we can say, I know God is here, and He is with me. And I pray that in our weakness, we can always look for your strength to let us walk. And I pray as we leave here, we can say those words as many times as He wants to. I know God is here.